Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. And what great news that is. Take your Bibles and go to Exodus chapter number 32, the book of Exodus chapter 32 this evening. And uh, we are walking our way through the book of Exodus, a study that we started Uh, I don't know, maybe a a year and a half, a little bit longer than that ago now, and we come uh, approaching the end of the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 32, and we're going to read verse number seven down to verse number 14. So if you found your place and if you're willing and able, let's stand together out of respect for the reading of God's word. Exodus chapter 32, verse number seven, all the way down to verse number 14. And you will remember that the beginning part of this chapter is where Moses has delayed his coming. He's gone up to the mountain, Joshua, his minister is with them. He's receiving the instructions for the uh, appropriate worship of God through the tabernacle and what will eventually be the temple. That's what Moses is receiving in between chapter number 24 and chapter number 32. So you have two scenes happening while Moses is on top of the mountain receiving the instruction of what tabernacle worship looks like. Down on ground level, right, you have the children of Israel going, man, Moses is delayed. Where's Moses been? Why isn't Moses here? Well, obviously he's not coming back. So let us build unto ourselves idols so that we can worship them. So that's what they do. Verse number one down to verse number six. They build the golden calf and then they bow down, they worship the golden calf and they offer sacrifices um, unto and offerings at the end of verse six unto the calf. All right, so verse number seven. So this is kind of like, meanwhile, back on the mountain, right? If you want to understand it in that way. So meanwhile, back up, back up on top of the mountain, verse seven, the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves, and they've turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. And they have made them a molten calf and worshipped it, and they have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods. O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them. And I will make out of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath, and repent repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he had thought to do unto his people. What an amazing part of the story. Three pieces of very good news. Do you see the good news? 
Do you see the good news in that? Three pieces of very good news. Number one, number one, God rightly judges his people. They're stiff necked. They're stiff necked. God rightly judges his people. Good news number one. Piece of good news number two. God responds to our prayer. Do, do you see that? He actually listens to Moses when Moses prays. He responds to the prayers of his people. Good news number one, God rightly judges his people. Good news number two, God responds to the prayers of his people. Piece of good news number three, God is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. How is this good news? Why do we say that it is good news that God judges his people? Why do we say that's good news? Number two, why do we say it's good news that God responds to our prayers? And number three, why do we say it's good news that God is rich in his mercy? Three pieces of good news. Why are they good news for you and for me? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Father, I pray that you would use your word in our hearts and in our lives. Give us great understanding of this passage. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. amen. Peace of news, number one. Peace of good news, number one. God rightly judges his people. Look at his judgment. It's found in verse number seven and it's verse number eight. Look at verse number seven. Verse number seven and eight, Moses, get thee down for thy people, which thou brought out of the land. Look at, look at his indictment against them. They've corrupted themselves. If you, if you mark notes, you should mark that. Here's what he's saying they did. They corrupted themselves. They turned aside. They turned aside quickly. <laughs> that, that's, very, that's interesting. It's three months. It's been three months since they walked out of Egypt, right? So this great deliverance plan has lasted uh, 90 days, right? It's lasted 90 days. That's it. Three days and the children of Israel are already going, hey, let's go back. Let's live like we used to live. Let's live how we used to live. Let's worship the gods that we used to worship while we were in Egypt. They corrupted themselves. They turned aside. They turned aside quickly. Look at verse number eight. I want you to see the verse. Look at verse eight. They have made them a molten calf. Right, so now they're building to themselves idols. They don't like the, the God who has revealed himself, shown himself to be God. Like this, we said this is one of the overarching questions in Exodus, or one of the questions that gets answered for us in Exodus. Who is God? Who is the Lord? Pharaoh asked at the very beginning, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Remember that question? Who's God that he gets to tell me what to do? And God has shown himself to be who he is. And the children of Israel, they've seen God show himself to be who he is. And then they went, nah, it's okay. We don't like that idea of a God. No, no, no. We, we, we have a better idea of God. We have a better way of building God. Okay, so that's who God is. That's how God has shown himself. Well, that's fine. But we don't want God like that. We would rather have God like this. We don't want God who does those things. We'd rather have God who does these things. We don't want a God who is smoke and, and fire and a mountain and a cloud. We don't want the earth-shaped God. No, we want the gold God that we can touch, that we can hold, so we can be like everybody else around us. And they've rejected him. That's what he's saying. They've rejected me. Look at this. And they have worshipped it. In indictment number five, they've worshipped this God. They've corrupted themselves. They turned aside. They turned aside quickly. They rejected the, the, uh, the, uh, how I've revealed myself to, to, the, to them. Number five, they've worshipped this. Look at this. Number eight, they sacrificed to it. Your God always gets your money. 
Your God, little g, always gets your money. Capital M, capital O, capital N, right? That's all capitalized. Your God always gets your money. Hey, look what they, they sacrifice to it. This is this, and, and look, and these be, here's what they said, these be thy gods that brought thee up out. They're attributing the work of God, what God has done in their lives. They're attributing these good things that God has done for them. And they're, they're saying that golden calf is, is what did all of this great work of deliverance for us. God has rightly judged his people. God always rightly judges his people. You probably notice very quickly there in verse number seven, you see this very interesting turn of events. Look at verse seven, for thy people, you see that? Which thou brought, <laughs> whose people are they? Are they Moses's or are they God's, right? Are they the children of Moses or the children of God? Or the children of God? God says to Moses, Moses, go down. Look at, look at what your people are doing, right? Sometimes Amanda will say this when our kids are acting really bad. She's like, David, go take care of your kids, right? I'm claiming no credit or fault for whatever. Go take care of your kids, right? It's a similar situation. God, God is going, Moses, look, look at what your people are doing. Look at, look at the people that you brought with you out of the land and they've rejected me. They're, they're saying this calf is our God. They're worshiping this calf. And for the first time, not the last time, but for the first time on the pages of scripture, God renames his people. Verse number nine. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people and behold, you should, you should mark this phrase. It is a stiff-necked people. You, you know what? You know what stiff-necked people? You know what stiff-necked is? It's not like, I need to go to the chiropractor. I have a stiff neck. No. You know stiff-necked people, right? Stubborn. Anybody know any stubborn people? Somebody sitting next to a stubborn person, right? Don't raise your hand. Probably won't go good for you. Just give him a little elbow. Psst, you. You, you, put the, you put the yoke on, on the oxen so he can go out into the field. And his stiff-necked ox, you're trying to drive him. You're trying to get him over here to plow the field so you can put the seed in the ground so you can bring up the grain. You're stiff-necked. Stiff-necked. It's, it's, it's a term that they would have used speaking of like an like a, like a oxen for a field because he's stiff-necked. So he kind of kicks up, he bows back at the idea of having a yoke put on his neck so he can go out and do the work that he's supposed to do. Remember what Jesus said about a yoke? Do you remember what Jesus said about a yoke? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. But hear me, there is a yoke. It's easy and it's light, but, it's, but there is a yoke. And this, this stiff-necked people, which literally means they bowed back at what God was doing. They, they stiffened up. They, they were stubborn toward. They rebelled against. They kicked against what God is doing. I sure hope that none of us are stiff-necked. I sure hope none of us are stiff-necked. The Lord wants to put a yoke on you. He has a task for you. He has an assignment for you to accomplish. He has a job for you to fulfill. He has a purpose for you to find. He has a yoke that he wants to put on you. That burden is easy. That yoke is light, but it's much lighter and it's much easier than the yoke of the world. It's much lighter, it's much easier than the burden of the world. It's much lighter, it's much easier than, than the burden of sin. But I wonder if we take this yoke that God has put on us, what he's asked us to do, how he's asked us to behave, the way in which he's asked us to live, how he's asked us to treat our neighbors, how he's asked us to treat one another, how he's asked us to treat our children or our parents. And I wonder if we've stiff-necked 
toward it. Now you're not, you're not you're gonna put that on me. You're not, you're not gonna do that here. You bowed up against it. You know how you can tell if you're a stiff-necked person? Do you know how you can tell if you're a stiff-necked person? It's a wonderful indicators. When's the last time you got godly counsel? Stiff-necked people don't get counsel. They already know what they're going to do. Stiff-necked people don't get godly counsel. They already know what they're going to do. Godly counsel, not just counsel. Well, I got counsel. I went to Facebook, and my friend on Facebook said, Godly counsel. When's the last time you've asked someone for forgiveness? Stiff-necked people never ask for forgiveness. You know why? Because they don't do anything wrong. They never do anything wrong. It's not my fault, it's his fault. It's not my fault, it's her fault. It's not my fault, it's their fault. Well, I only did this because they did that. That's stiff-necked. Stubborn. When's the last time you've asked for forgiveness? Anybody done anything wrong lately? Let me see. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. God's watching. If you didn't raise your hand, ask your wife later. She'll point out a couple things to you. Stiff-necked people never ask for forgiveness, even though they know they do things. Stiff-necked people don't ask for forgiveness. Why? Because they're always justifying why they did what they did. We, we, we have Christian ways of saying it. We say it like, well, nobody's perfect. You know me, I'm just living in grace. That, that's justification for why we keep living the way that we know we shouldn't instead of owning that mistake, saying, look, I apologize, I'm wrong, I shouldn't have done that. When your children are small and they mess up, what do you make them do? You make them apologize, you make them seek forgiveness. You go, okay, you did wrong, say you're sorry, I'm sorry, okay, now give your brother a hug, and give him, let's move on, right? And then as we grow, what we start to do is start to say, instead of saying you're sorry, I'm wrong, please forgive me. Instead of saying that, we start, well, the only reason I did and the only reason I said and the only reason stiff-necked people never get counsel. They don't, they don't need it. They already know what they're going to do. Stiff-necked people never ask for forgiveness. Why? Because they, they've never done anything wrong. They've never done anything wrong. Stiff-necked people, here, and they've never changed their mind. They never adjusted the plan. They never, you know what? I was going to do this. Now I'm not going to, because if I did that, that would be operating in the flesh. I'd be being pulled toward the flesh instead of being pulled toward the spirit. When was the last time you changed your mind? And I'm not talking about the outfit you were going to wear, and then you changed your mind. Now you're going to wear a different outfit. I, I'm, I'm talking about something bigger, greater, deeper than that, Okay. Well, I was going to go say this to that person, but I changed my mind because, you know, I really thought about it. I prayed about it. I sought godly counsel. I went to the Lord. I spent time in his word. And so before I went and did that thing that I, I really thought I, I was going to do, I decided I was going to do this. See, if you're bumping up against everybody, you're fighting with everybody at the office, you're fighting with everybody at home, you're fighting with everybody at church, you're fighting with everybody in traffic, you're fighting with everybody in the grocery store, you're fighting with everybody. There's one common denominator. It's everybody. <laughs> no, it's you. It's me. That's a wonderful sign that you're, that you're being stiff-necked. It's a wonderful sign that you're just, you're being stubborn. You're pushing. Man, that sounded really loud. What was that? Was it the microphone? Wow. That's a, that's, that's a sign that you're pushing against that. Man, I sure hope, I sure hope I'm not stiff-necked. I sure hope that we're not stiff-necked. I, I sure hope you're not stiff-necked. And a wonderful indicator of that, let's just, just go through those three points. When's the last time you've done any of those? When's the last time you've done any of those? You see, and so many times we're like the children of Israel. We go, well... <laughs> But the only reason I'm doing this is because Moses is delaying. He's up on the mountain. If he just hurry up and get down here, we wouldn't have done this. 
And it's so many times we have so many reasons for justifying why we're doing what we're doing. Hey, listen, the Lord is right in judging his people. Man, they corrupted themselves. They worshiped false gods. They sacrificed to those gods. They turned away. They rejected the character of God. God said, who's I? Hear who I am. And they said, no, thank you. And God looks down and God says, this is a stiff-necked people. This is the first time he calls them that. Look, you read the rest of the Old Testament. It's not the last time he calls them that. It's not the last time. It's the first time it's on the pages of Scripture. But man, it shows up all throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And God says to Moses, Moses, these people don't want me. These people don't think I am their God. These people think this golden cow is their God. So Moses, look what's happened to your people who you brought out of Egypt. Listen, God is not being fickle here. The people are being fickle. Here's how. Here's how you know why. Three months earlier, flashback, three months earlier, when they're in captivity, what were they crying out to God? Lord, deliver us. Lord, deliver us. Lord, deliver us. God shows up, flexes his muscles. Pharaoh lets his people go. God leads them out. They cross the Red Sea. He feeds them with manna. He feeds them with quail. He, he shows up on the mountain. He shakes the mountain. They put the boundary around the mountain. He calls Moses and the 70 elders up. Moses and his 70 elders go back down. They all worship God, make a feast to God, calls Moses and Joshua back up. And now they're up there. Well, well where's, where's he at? Where's, what's going on? Moses is delayed. Build a goal golden calf because that's what we used to do when we were in Egypt that listen God isn't being fickle with the people the people are being fickle with God do, do you want to deliver 30, 31 chapters of God delivering his people 31 chapters of God flexing his muscles 31 chapters of God saying here's what I am like 31 chapters of God going I remember the promises I've made 31 chapters of God saying I set you aside in Egypt for a time that you might grow into the nation of people that you are 31 chapters of God spoiling his people with the riches of Egypt as they go out 31 chapters Moses delays his coming by 30 days. Oh, God must not love us. He must have forgot about us. He must leave us here. Go build a calf. Oh, these people are a stiff-necked people. I sure hope we aren't stiff-necked. After all that God had done for them, at the first time, it doesn't go the way they think it should. They build an idol. That's a good point if you'll catch it. After all that God had done for them, after all that they asked God to do, at the first sign that it doesn't go the way that they think it should, they build an idol. God rightly judges his people, they haven't slipped up just a little bit. It's not, a, it's not like, oh, this is a small mistake. No, they've rejected who God is. So, here's the good news. God is ready to unleash his wrath on them. Wait. Pull the car over. Pastor, you said that's good news. God is ready to unleash his wrath on them. Yeah, this, this is good news. How, how, how is it good news? Here's how it's good news. Ready? Because he is the living God of the universe. You want to see this story? You fast forward in Hebrews chapter 12. Skip forward. I, I want to show it to you. Skip forward. Hebrews chapter 12. A writer of Hebrews speaking of this same event. And it starts in verse number 18. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 18. Here's the good news. Watch. For ye are not coming to the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet 
and the voice of words. Look, 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 look. You know what he's describing? He's describing Exodus chapter 23. He's describing Exodus chapter 24. He's describing Exodus chapter number 20, the very back of it. He's describing Exodus chapter number 32. God coming down to the mountain. How is God coming down to the mountain? He's coming down with blackness and darkness and tempest. And remember they fenced off the mountain and they said, if you touch the mountain, you'll die. And if your dog touches the mountain, he dies. And if your goat gets loose and touches the mountain, the goat dies. Same event. And the voice, verse 19, which voice they had entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore for that they could not endure that which was commanded. If so be as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with the dart. Look at verse 21. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. He says, this is not the mountain you came to. You didn't come to this mountain in Exodus. Here's the mountain you came to. Look at verse number 22. But ye are come to the Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God. Mark that phrase, living God. Unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all. Who's the judge of all? To God, the judge of everyone. And to the spirits of just men made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And to the blood of sprinkling and that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped not, who refused him that spake on earth, well, much more shall, we, shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and with godly fear. Verse 29, the good news. For our God is a consuming fire. For our God is a consuming fire. Here's the good news. Because if this God, who is a consuming fire, who when he shows up, shakes the earth, and not the earth only, but also heaven, and he shows up in darkness, in tempest, in a storm, in a cloud, and in fire, and if this God, who even Moses was afraid to stand in front of, but shook and trembled at the sight of God, if this is our God... If he is for us, well, who can be against us? You see how it's good news? Because if that God is for me, well, then whatever your opinion of me is doesn't really matter. I'll just serve God acceptably with reverence and fear because God's a consuming fire. You see how it's good news? We turn this thing around sometimes and we say things like, well, I just, well, I just think God should have to answer for why he let that happen. And C.S. Lewis writes, says, now you don't get to put God in the dock. And the dock, there's not talking about boat, he's talking about literally, God doesn't stand in front of you as if you were the judge. 
No, no, no. We stand in front of him because our God is the judge of both the living and the dead. God is the judge of all, and God is a consuming fire. You know who judges you? God. You know who judges me? God. You know who judges them? God. God judges everyone. That, that'll really help eliminate some of your stress. So you don't have to be Facebook police. You see how that, like, like that frees you up? <gasps> Did you see what they put on Facebook? Did you see what they put on Facebook? Did you see what they, just relax. God saw it. He's got it. He's the judge. You're not. He's really good at being God. He's done it for a long time. He doesn't need your help. And God rightly judges. This is interesting. God on the mountain looks down and says, Moses, you better get up and you better go down there. And you better get your people. Go, go get your kids. Because I'm, I'm, I'm going to start over. They're stiff-necked. They asked me to deliver them. I, I delivered them for 31 chapters I provided for them. I've rained food down. I've filled it up with manna. I've filled it up with quail. I've done all that. I, and I've shown them who I am. I've flexed my muscle. Look at all I've done for them. And now they still reject me. They belong to me, but they behave like Egyptians. And, and you know what, Moses? That's it. I'm starting over. Here's the line. I'm starting over. And I'm going to start over with you. And here's what's interesting. Here's what the children of Israel need more than anything. They need an intercessor. God goes, Moses, I'm starting over. Moses, get up. Go look at your people. I'm starting over. I'm starting over with you. And Moses walks over, looks down the mountain. And ne next, next week, you're going to, the, the noise of war as he, as he rounds down the mountain, right? He, he walks over, looks down the mountain. He goes, okay, God, yeah, you're right. Start over. Is that what he says? <laughs> yeah, you're right, God. <laughs> they are a stubborn people. Let's start over, me and you. No, no, no. Moses entreats the Lord. Watch. Good news number two. God responds to the prayers of his people. Verse number 11. Moses besought the Lord as God, and the Lord said, and said to the Lord, Why doth thy, thy wrath wax hot against thy people? Moses goes to the Lord in prayer. There's several things about Moses' prayer, and I want you to write them down. Several things about Moses' prayer. Some of you have a friend who's far away from the Lord. This is a great prayer for them. Some of you have children who are far away from the Lord. This is a great prayer for them. Some of you have a mom and dad. They're far away from the Lord. This is a great prayer for them. It, this, is, this is how to pray for a stubborn person. You ever wondered that? How to pray for a stubborn people. That's what Moses is about to do. How do you pray for someone who's stubborn? Lord, break their neck. No, no, that's not. That's not, that's not the right prayer. How do you pray for someone who's stubborn? And here it is, ready? First, Moses asks with confidence Moses asks with confidence in God's sovereignty. The sovereignty of God simply means that God is God and you are not. It's pretty, pretty straightforward. He's God. You're not. Let him be God. He's really good at it. You don't need to be. Moses asks with confidence Moses asks with confidence in the sovereignty of God, and God as sovereign responds to Moses' request. Moses intercedes on behalf of the people. Why? Because Moses believes that his intercession, that his prayer will in fact change something. And, and in the text, God's course of action, at least as we perceive it, actually moves from one direction to another as a result of Moses' prayer. This is, this is the understanding. God reserves the right to respond to your prayer however he sees fit. 
And no matter how God responds to prayer, that is not an indication that God was not willing to listen to prayer. God willingly listens to his prayer. Full stop, complete truth. Truth number two, God reserves the right to respond to your prayers however he sees fit because he's God and you aren't. Moses goes to God in full confidence, not in that God will do what he wants. He goes to God in full confidence that God will be God. You, you be God. That's what he's saying. He goes, Lord, I come to you, you are alone, our God. Now, obviously, Moses has certain requests. Obviously, Moses lets his request be made known. But Moses is praying over the top of all of it. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But Moses is praying over the top of all of that with a trust in the, in the sovereignty of God. God is in control of this. Jesus' most frequent teaching on prayer sounds like this. It can be boiled down to one word. Ready? Ask. You read through the Gospels. You, know, you, you want to boil Jesus' teaching down about prayer? It sounds like this. Ask me. Ask me. Paul says it this way. Pray about everything and let your prayer be without ceasing. Okay, so how do we balance both of that? How do we go, okay, ask God, whatever, whatever's on your heart, ask God, cast all your care on him. Ask God, pray about everything, and don't stop praying about anything. Pray without ceasing. So how do we balance that in line of God is sovereign, God's going to do what he wants? Well, that reigns over the top of all of our prayers. God, I'm bringing this request to you. God, I'm, I'm bringing this petition to you. Most of our prayers generally revolve around health or money. So God, I'm, I'm bringing this health request to you. God, I'm bringing this uh, financial problem. I'm bringing it to you. Here's my prayer request. Here's this relationship. I want to see it go this way. So those are the three, right? Relationships, money, and health. So God, here's what I'm praying about. So over and above all of that, we're saying God is sovereign and God will do what God wants to do. But God still willingly involves us in the discipline of prayer. Ask me. Ask me, he's saying. Ask me. And you get to the New Testament. Ask ye have not because ye ask not. Moses, you better go down. You better get your people because I'm going to wipe them out. They're a stiff neck. I'm going to start over with you. Moses gets up and says, Lord, Lord, you're sovereign. You'll do what you want. You're in complete control. You're God. I'm not. But would you stay your hand for this people? Moses asks with confidence in the sovereignty of God. Number two, Moses asks for God's compassion. Look at verse 11. Why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Number two, how to pray for a stubborn people. Number one, ask with confidence in the sovereignty of God. Number two, ask for God's compassion. Do you, do you see how much Moses has matured in 31 chapters? You remember when God first came to Moses? Moses, I've heard my people's cry. They need a deliverer. I choose you. Moses says, no, don't pick me. Pick somebody else. No, no, no. I want you. Come on, me and you. We're going to go deliver them. I'm going to show myself strong. Pharaoh's going to let them go. You're going to speak to kings. Moses goes, I don't, don't want to go. Get my brother. He's better at talking. Me, no, talk good. No, no, no. Come on, I'm using you. Man, how, how much Moses has matured in 31 chapters, in three months. Now Moses engages, Lord, be compassionate. Be who we know you are. Be who you have shown yourself to be. That's what he's saying in verse 11. Which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power. Moses asks God for compassion. Moses prays because Moses cares. You pray for what you care for. Any mom in the room who's had their son or daughter go into 
the military and be shipped across seas, put into places of conflict. You never have to ask that mom to pray for her son. You never have to ask that mom to pray for her daughter. You pray, you pray for what you care for. I'd say the bulk of our prayers, 90% of our prayers are about ourselves. Most of our prayers, if we're praying, if we were honest tonight, most of the time we aren't praying for someone else. Most of the time we're praying for ourselves. Lord, here's my request. Lord, here's my need. Lord, here's my health concern. Lord, here's my financial situation. Lord, here's my relationship. You pray for what you care for. Moses prays for this stiff-necked people. Why? Because Moses cares for this stiff-necked people. You pray for what you care for. Moses is entering into the compassion of God. Do you catch this? Moses is thinking like God. He's, he's having compassion for a people that are not his own, at his own risk. And, and, and mind you, I mean, Moses is going to come down, he's going to get mad, he's going to slam the tablets, he's going to take the, the, the stick, and he's going to hit the rock in a couple chapters. I mean, Moses is going to have his own bad day. But in this moment, Moses is entering into the compassion of God. He's feeling toward a people the way that God feels toward a people. And when you feel toward someone the way that God feels toward someone, guess what you do? You pray for them. And when you feel toward someone just anger or bitterness or wrath or just frustration or whatever, guess what you don't do? You don't pray for them. But you make prayers for that man. You make prayers for that woman. You make prayers for that person. And watch how you feel toward them will change. You can't help but have compassion on someone that you're taking to the Lord in prayer. Moses prays because Moses cares. Moses asks for compassion. I got to go quick. Number three, Moses asks for God's glory. He says, verse number 12, think about, or verse number 13. Yeah, I'm sorry, verse number 12. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say? He says, God, consider how the fame of your name will be reflected in this. Sad to say, most of the time when we pray, we don't think about how this situation is going to reflect the glory of God. All we think is, how in this situation can I get good? How in this situation can I be benefited? How in this situation can I receive blessing? How in this situation can it go the way I want it to go? Most of the time when we pray, we don't think, God, do your glory in this situation. We think, God, do this and this and this and this and this in this situation. Amen. You have not because you ask not. No, no, our prayers would be much more served if we said, Lord, get the glory out of this. Get the glory out of this. Get the glory out of this. Moses asks for God's glory. What am I on number four? Moses asks according to God's word. Look at verse number 13. Remember Abraham, remember Isaac, remember Israel, that's Jacob, thy servants to whom thou swearest by thine own self. Look at it. And saidest. He's asking God to operate toward a people according to his word. God, operate toward this stiff-necked people. Operate according to them or uh, toward them according to your word. Number five. Moses asks for God's grace. You know what you will not find in Moses' prayer? You know what you will not find in Moses' prayer? They mean well. They're just a little confused right now. They're struggling. You know those teen years, those can be tough. 
Well, you know, boys will be boys. Girls will be girls. Baptist will be Baptist. Moses makes no excuses. He doesn't stand in front of God and go, give them another chance. They're lonely. I, I'm not there. I'm their leader. I've been with them for three months and now I've been away for, you know, 30 days and they're really, they're really, they're, they're really stressing out and they just, they're not sure how to handle it. And you know what? It's probably a good thing that I was the leader. I mean, Aaron, he's a good guy and he's a good, he's a great speaker, but he's just, he's a really bad decision maker, clearly. No. And Moses entreats a holy God. Watch. Moses entreats a holy God for a wicked people. Moses entreats a holy God for a wicked people. Moses is the reverse of Abraham. Do you remember what Abraham did? God shows up. Hey, Abraham, I'm destroying that city and everybody in it. And that, that includes a lot. No, 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 not yet, God. How about if there's 30 righteous? Nah, there's not 30. Okay, you're right. How about if there's 20? No, there's not 20. How about if, and it gets God down to 10, right? How about if there's 10 righteous? If per adventure we could find anybody righteous in the city, right? He's, he's, Abraham is going to God on behalf of the righteous, and what happens to Sodom and Gomorrah? It's flattened. Moses is the reverse of Abraham. Moses isn't going to God on behalf of the righteous. Moses is going to God on behalf of the wicked. Oh, yeah. yeah they're a stiff-necked people. Oh, they, they are stubborn. They, that, that is definitely a molten calf. I'm going to take care of that as soon as I get down. I'm going to make them drink it. You want a fun sermon? That's next week. That is bizarre, right? Don't worry, when I get down there, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to make them drink all that they're doing. Okay, but listen, you're right, God. They're a wicked people, but they're your people. Moses entreats a holy God for a wicked people. Reminds me of somebody else. Reminds me of someone in the New Testament named Jesus who entreats a holy God for a wicked people. And he doesn't say, give them what they deserve. He says, no, 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 I'll take what they deserve. You're never more like Christ than when you are taking what someone else deserves. I don't know, just, I'll enter into this burden. I'll carry this yoke. I'll take the loss. I'll suffer the hit. I'll entreat the people, but not them. No, no, not them. No, not, not. Because your glory is at stake. Because your name's at stake. Because your word has promised. Because you're a compassionate God. And because you're sovereign over it all. Here's my question. Do you pray like that? Do you pray like that? You pray like that for your boss? You pray like that for your family? You pray like that for your children? Do you pray like that for your pastor? Do you pray like that for your Sunday school teacher? Do you pray like that for your wife? Do you pray like that for your husband? Do you pray that way? Do you treat God that way? Or do you go to God and say, God, fix this in him and fix this in her and fix that and change this and show them that I'm right and they're wrong? How do you pray for a stubborn people? It's good news. God has the right to judge. He's God, you're not. It's good news. God responds to the prayers of his people. Third, I don't even have time. But I'm going to give it to you anyway. We're going to do it. Verse 14. God's rich in mercy. And the Lord repented of the evil which he had thought to do. God says, I'm rich 
in mercy. Of the 30 plus times in the Old Testament where it reads, and the Lord repented, you know what it never says? It never says the Lord repented of sin. Because our God cannot sin. It says, repents the wrath, repents of the calamity, repents of uh, the destruction, repents of the, the judgment. But it never says it repents of sin. In God, there is no sin. In our God, there is no sin. The word repent, in our minds, we're, we're, we come up to that word, we have problems with it. Because we always think repentance in line of sin. Repentance simply means a change of mind. So, so surface understanding of the word repentance. Repentance, change of mind. You're driving this way, you repented, and you turned around and drove the other way because your wife told you you were driving the wrong direction. You repented of the direction you were going. Repentance is change of mind. You get, to, you get to the New Testament, repentance is applied, obviously, to sin. Change your mind about your sin. Repent and believe. Change your mind about your sin. But repentance means change of mind. So don't assume here that God is repenting of sin. He isn't. And God has said, I'm going to destroy them. That's my, I set my mind to it. And when God sets his mind to do something, does he ask Pharaoh? Hey, Pharaoh, can I have your permission to destroy Egypt? No, he doesn't ask Pharaoh. That. He just does it. Pharaoh let him go. No! He flexes his muscles. He shows Pharaoh he's God. And yet in this situation, it's different. Moses, I'm going to destroy this people. Moses entreats God. God responds willingly to the prayer of Moses on behalf of a stubborn people. And then God repents. He turns. Why? Because he's rich in mercy. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God says, I'm turning because I'm rich in mercy toward this people. And my desire is that this people would turn as well. Now, what you should understand is you get to the end of the chapter, read ahead this week, get to the end of the chapter, there's still plagues, there's still judgment, there's still death, there's still consequence because of the choices that the people made. But that does not eliminate the richness of God's mercy because of the consequence of sin being present. Our God is rich in mercy, and that is great news for us. Our God responds to the prayers of his people, and that is great news for us. And our God rightly judges over all, and that is great news for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for how you have worked, moved, and interacted in our lives. We thank you for the grace you've showed us, the love you displayed for us. We thank you for the mercy that you pour out on us every day. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness to us. And Father, so many times I've been stiff-necked toward you. Please forgive me. And so many times I've been stubborn toward what you want to do in my life. Instead of willingly following after you. Instead of picking up that burden. Instead of picking up that yoke and realizing how light it is. And Father, I pray that you might lead in my life to help me understand how to not just properly respond to you, but how to properly pray for those in my life. And I pray that you would do that all throughout our church. And I pray that you might bring new mercy every morning in each of those areas, in every one of those relationships.